You're listening to the IntroCap Interviews Podcast, hosted by CEO and founder Karen Aslan. Today, Karen is speaking with partner at Morningside Capital, Tori Buffery. Hi, Tori. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Karen? I'm very well. Really, uh, I'm really happy to have you here, Tori. I, of course, when I was preparing for this interview, I went over your bio and honestly, it is one of the most impressive bios I've seen for a woman in the investment industry to have really accomplished what you've accomplished. And we're going to get into that a little bit later, but I also learned that you competed as a Canadian national level figure skater back in the 90s. And I just thought we'd start by talking about that experience. If you <laughs> well, thank you very much for saying that. That makes me feel very nice. Um, yeah, figure skating. Um, I think it's been over 25 years since I put on my figure skates, which is crazy. But uh, yeah, it was part of my life that really, I think, made me who I am today in a number of ways. Um, it was a very intense period of time. I think I started skating when I was six and uh, retired when I was 13. And, you know, when you think of child athletes, all those things you think about, I, I hope people would say about me that you learn grit, motivation, work ethic, sacrifice, uh, certainly time management. Um, you know, I missed first period of school every day. So not only did I have less time to do my homework, but I also had to catch up every day on my schoolwork. Um, and I'm sure there were times where it was hectic and I wondered why I was doing it. But um, looking back, I'm, I feel really grateful that I had that experience. And, you know, I think I, I there's two things that probably were unique to me. I think the first was I was by far the youngest of a group of really elite athletes. And although I had a lot of success, I could look up and see people who were frankly better than me. Uh And they really took me under their wing. And after that experience in my career, I've always kind of sought out people who are like mentors, like coaches, I really um, take feedback to heart. I'm all always focused on continuous improvement. Um, so I think that's really served me quite well. Um, and then the other thing is, um, although I was quite strong in pairs figure skating, um, at a singles level, I was probably middle of the pack and frankly, some days bottom. <laughs> um, and so I knew what it felt like to win and be the best, but I also knew what it felt like to be at the bottom too. And it's a really powerful experience to have. I think it's given me a lot of perspective in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I really do bring that to bear, especially in an industry where you're dealing with a lot of different personalities and private equity where, you know, it is all about the people. I think it's, it's really given me unique insight into kind of every situation. So, um, yeah, yeah, really grateful for that experience. Thanks very much for sharing that, Tori. It sounds like that was a really incredible learning experience for you and moving along to your career now in the private equity secondaries industry. Can you tell us about your career background and what led you to being a partner at Morningside? 
Yeah. Um, so retired from figure skating, obviously. Um, and I really, really embraced kind of academic life. I had really, really high marks um, in high school. And I really just wanted to outperform and be a, uh, achieve what, whatever I could with whatever that would look like. Um, and frankly, that kind of brought me to business school. I went to Wilfrid Laurier and then um, from business, I went into investment banking, another interesting training ground about time management and motivation and, and sacrifice. And then um, it was actually really interesting. I came upon a posting for the Canada Pan, uh, Pension Plan Investment Board's fund investing team. And that really appealed to me because it seemed like I would be able to combine uh, finance but also working with and meeting with different types of people, which I've always really enjoyed doing. So I signed with CPPIB in December 2009, which was a very interesting time because it was the recession. And my first uh, month or so at CPPIB were really quiet. Not a lot of people were fundraising. Um, I was wondering if I had made a mistake in moving. Um, but, you know, definitely a situation of right place, right time. Um, CPPIB had just become active really the year before in pursuing private equity secondaries. And what year was own. that, Tor? That would have been January 2010. Okay. And so 2008, um, I was really fortunate because, uh, you know, you had Yan, who had just, uh, who has gone on to, to start Whitehorse, and then Henry, who I left to join at Morningside, you know, really setting the stage for private equity secondaries. CBPIB was the first institution in Canada to really have a dedicated secondaries team. Yeah. And I really enjoyed working on those transactions. I really enjoyed working with, with Henry in particular. Um, Can I just ask you, um, when you think about the private equity secondaries industry and secondaries as an asset class, would you say that it's been about 10 years that that asset class really has been in an existence as its own asset class? I guess. Yeah. 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 It's, it's such a great question. I think probably 2000. Yeah, no, I think you are right. Probably around the last 10 years, it's become almost mainstream um, but the last 10 years has seen evolution like no other. I think, you know, when I was at CPPIV, there was one type of secondary. And now there's many, many different types of secondaries. I mean, when we started CP, uh, when we started Morningside, rather, um, we were the first firm to focus on working with the private equity managers or general partners themselves. Um, we were the first firm to focus exclusively on GP-LEDs. And that was really unique. And now that's a multi multi-billion dollar asset class so it's there's been tremendous change in the industry for sure seats are filling up fast for the 12th canadian alternative investment forum being held in toronto on thursday april 20th the early bird rate expires this friday on february 17th so please go to www.introcap.com slash 2023 to register so i interrupted you sorry so you were mm -hmm. just telling us a little bit about how you came about being a partner at Morningside. Oh, yes, yes. Um, so yeah, so, um, you know, CPPIB was um, uh, starting to become active in this GP-led space. And, um, you know, Henry kind of approached me, uh, mentioning he was going to start Morningside, which didn't have a name at that time, but a firm focused on the GP-led 
side of the market, um, but at the smaller fund size, the smaller investment size where not a lot of players were. Um, and yeah, that's seven years ago to uh, jumped in and, and joined him. And then we were joined shortly after by uh, a fellow CPPIB alum, George Weeks. And together we're now we're a team of nine people. Okay, great. And let's just talk about what private equity secondaries are. Yeah. Just so everyone is just really yeah. clear exactly what are they? Yeah, I, honestly, it's a simple but very, very good question. I actually think if you had different secondaries people in the room right now, we would all give you a different answer. Right. I think my definition has even changed over the last year. So what it is today, how I think of a secondary is really providing liquidity in a private asset class. And that can be with or without the involvement of the private equity manager or general partner. Um, it used to be just buying another investor stake and that has completely proliferated to different types. But at the end of the day, you're really just providing liquidity where there isn't natural liquidity. Okay. Give me an example of your process and how from origination to completion of a transaction, how Morningside would approach it. Yeah. So um, these days, my focus has been on uh, a product that we refer to as single asset secondaries. Okay. Um, and our triage process is pretty rigorous. Um, when we find a transaction, the first thing we look at is the quality of the private equity firm or general partner that's going to manage that asset. So we look at how long have they been around? What is their AUM? Do we know them from our CBPIB days? We reference them. Um, are they going concerned? Do they have funds? So looking at the GP quality is number one. The second thing we look at, even before we look at what are the underlying business businesses we're investing in, is the alignment of interest between that manager and their portfolio companies. We look at why are they doing this transaction? Are they taking any of their own money off the table? Is this manager putting their own money behind this asset? Um, we look at little things like that to get a hint for their motivations behind doing a transaction. And then once we're past that, then we actually dig into the asset itself. And we would do typical um, investing diligence. You know, we'll build a financial model. We'll do comparable analysis. Um, we'll look at sensitivities, um, leverage, exit uh, multiples, all that kind of good stuff that you think of when you are going to go invest in an asset. But by starting with those first two layers, it really helps the triage process um, because we get a lot of deals um, and we only have so much time. Okay. Can you describe what um, could go wrong? I guess I want to understand the risks involved and then maybe an experience that you've had where you've made an investment and it, it didn't go the way that you wanted it to and how you, um, you know, found a solution. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think secondaries are especially tricky um, because there's a lot of dynamics at play. So when you're looking at the risks of a transaction, 
there's the typical risks associated with investing in any company, whether it's buying that company, investing in a stock. And those are the fundamentals of the business. You know, what's their moat? Is revenue growing? How much leverage do they have? All, all that kind of stuff. But then with the secondary, you layer on that whole other extra uh, consideration, which is uh, who's calling the shots on this business? Who owns this company? Who is the private equity firm? Who are the actual specific team members? Are they aligned here? Why are they doing this transaction? And you really could have a fantastic asset, but if you get the alignment of interest and all that extra kind of soft stuff wrong, you really could be in trouble. So um, I think it can be very, very complicated to take all those into account. Um, thinking about transactions that we've done, I think whatever you plan for, whether it's good or bad, it's never going to end up exactly as you expect. Um, I think of transactions where, you know, it, they didn't perform as well as we'd hoped. And in those situations, it's been probably a GP making a decision on an asset that we didn't fully agree with. Because in secondaries, you're not touching the asset yourself. You are relying on the GP. And so we do a ton of work in the legal stage at ensuring there's appropriate alignment of interests. Um, there's a phrase that I love. Um, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but speak quietly and carry a big stick. Yeah. We are big believers in that. And so, you know, after that experience, we put in a lot of our legal agreements. Look, if, if you come to the end of this time period, we can take this asset over or we can get out. Um, and it's not something we necessarily want to do, but we want to know the quote unquote threat is there and that we are paying attention and we're watching and we're calling the GP um, to make sure that they're motivated to act in our best interest. Okay. Would a GP ever ask you for strategic input on a, on a position? Yeah. So in a number of cases, it's case by case. We'll, you know, we'll serve on the advisory board. Um, and that's an important role. That's something we did as a fund investor at CPPIB. So we're very comfortable doing that. Um, we have had a case actually where um, we have, we'll try to take a board observer seat if that's available as well in the actual company. But we have had a situation where um, Henry actually served on the board we had, um, tragically, the CEO of a portfolio company passed away and Henry joined the board um, and was really involved in helping steer that business. Um, so again, like you don't want that to happen, but you want to make sure the mechanisms are in place where if that needs to happen, you can step in and, and help out in that regard. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. I know that Morningside has completed significant transactions with institutions already and you now have launched your vintage funds. So if you could just give us an overview of, you know, the full, fulsome view of what Morningside does, and then talk to us a little bit about your funds and the things that you do differently. Yes, for sure. So Morningside Capital, today we are a team of nine people. As I said, we exclusively focus on what I call general partner GP-led transactions. And that's always, always working in partnership with the general partner of the private equity fund. We have two sides of our business. Um, the first I would refer to as a complex uh, GP liquidity strategy where we partner with GPs but provide preferred equity to them. 
Um, and the GP can take our capital for whatever they need it for, maybe follow on in their portfolio, buying out some investors, buying out a whole entire portfolio. Um, and that is uh, executed by um, in partnership with a number of uh, very sophisticated institutional investors in Canada and the U.S., and then the other side of the business, the one that I focus most on, um, we refer to as our Morningside Vintage Secondary Strategy or MVS. We use a ton of acronyms at Morningside. So MVS is, is the name of this one. And at a high level, this is really about bringing a CPPIB-esque portfolio to non-CPPIB investors, of which there are many. Um, and the way we do this is we focus on partnering with the biggest and the best managers. These are managers we would have covered at CPPIB. You would find them in their portfolio. But we um, go a step further where we partner with these managers to help them invest and hold on to their favorite or trophy assets beyond the term of their fund. Um, and we wrap this up in a really unique structure where we can offer shorter duration, faster deployment, no J curve and lower minimums. So you're getting access to uh, top quartile managers at a minimum amount that you couldn't even give to one of these managers. Exciting news. He's back. We are pleased to announce that esteemed economist David Rosenberg from Rosenberg Research will once again be the opening keynote for the 12th Canadian Alternative Investment Forum, April 20th, 2023. If you were to talk about your team, how would you describe like what you do versus what Henry does versus what other team members do? And I guess I want to find out what your specialty is and what you really enjoy doing yourself. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the way we're organized today, so I focus on this MVS product um, and that could be on forming the fund, raising the money, um, executing transactions. Um, I kind of oversee that product. Um, the other side of our business, the uh, GP liquidity solutions is led by George Weeks, um, our other business partner. Um, and then Henry kind of oversees up top, spreading time where is needed across the two. Um, so kind of the big firm strategic stuff. Um, and then we have a group of professionals below us. We have a finance group and then we have other um, deal execution support people that fill in kind of where, where they're required. Um, but when we come together to make investments, it's Henry, George and I all need to be on the same page and all agree. Um, and even in the MVS product, we did nine transactions last year. We probably each equally led, but we were all on the same page of every transaction that went into the fund. Are you ever not on the same page? And what would you do in that case? Uh, yes. <laughs> you know, we know each other really well. Um, and we are, you know, not afraid to, to speak our mind. Yeah, no, it definitely happens. You know, there's a deal that, that uh, we just got to the finish line on. And initially, you know, the team wasn't involved. I was pushing for it. Um, you just have to keep going back, figuring it out what it is at the core that people are concerned about and just come back with more answers. Um, and so luckily, you know, the last, uh, third set of pieces of analysis, the team was like, okay, it helps that this company had performed so well, they'd already outperformed their case. Um, so I, I had that on my side, but no, it happens for sure. And if someone's not comfortable, it's just, it's not going to do the deal. 
How would you describe team alignment and how important that is when it comes to doing what you're doing? Yeah. I mean, alignment is so critical. Um, We look for it in every single transaction we do. As I said, it's, you know, it's something we look at even before we look at the underlying assets and within our, our own team, we also reflect that as well. So we personally invest in every single transaction that we do as an investor in our latest MBS fund, I went to the bank, I made my own capital call, invested in the fund. Um, and, you know, in the, in the early years, it was hard because, you know, we weren't making a lot of cash flow and we were putting everything back into our investments. But at the end of the day, that's going to speak more to how you feel about an investment than any piece of analysis you can do. So we look for it in our own deals and we look for it in ourselves because it's, you know, one of those things that's just so important. Yeah. Yeah. And what are investors main concerns or, or objections right now that you're hearing? Yeah, it's, it's a tough market to be fundraising right now. I think, I think the biggest issue is you've seen a real decrease in public valuations, but private valuations have, um, not really followed, which is, what private equity tends to do. Um, and so as a result, you have a lot of investors over allocated to private equity. Um, and so they can't actually make any new investments until uh, that gets fixed in some way, public markets coming back or selling off some of their private equity portfolio. So that's, that's a big issue for a number of investors that have um, specific targets they need to follow. And then I think there's, you know, investor concerns around what's going to happen, recession, interest rates, um, all sorts of things that can be concerning for for any investor going into any market. Um, But it's interesting. I look at 2023 and I think it could be an amazing vintage to invest. I really think this could be private equity's time to shine. Um, So it will be interesting to see how how things play out in, in the next year. Yeah, absolutely. And um, are you marketing across Canada globally? Yeah, so our investor base for the MVS product right now is all Canadian investors all across the country. Um, Actually, uh, most of our investor base is institutional investors. We do have um, some family offices and wealth managers as well. Um, we may take on one or two U.S. investors, but for now, we're just focusing kind of on our, our home <laughs> country when, when it comes to raising this fund. Right. Okay. Well, that's a really great overview, Tori. I think um, for the purpose of time, it's, it's good to just um, cover the ground this way. And I also know that you're a mom of two little ones and... <laughs> I just wanted to ask you how you manage that, given your the demands of your career. And I do know that you have travel as well involved. Yeah. Oh, well, it's hard. <laughs> I will say that. Um, look, it's tough. I think I have two things working in my favor. The first is I really, really love my job and I love coming to the office. Um, TJI Monday is a phrase I identify with. Um, the other thing, uh, that I have going for me is I have a great support system. So my husband also works in finance, also travels a lot, but when it comes to family obligations, I mean, we are 50, 50, um, which I hope other families are, are moving towards as well. In terms of advice, 
Um, this might sound like a cop out, but I would say don't take people's advice. Um, everyone's experience is so unique and you don't really know until you're there. So there's no point in putting a whole bunch of pressure on yourself. You know, I, I thought that I would really embrace those early baby days. And I had a lot of trouble in mat leave. I was pretty miserable those first few months. And I look, I love being a mom, but it was hard at first. And I was even more unhappy by the fact that I was unhappy about being unhappy and feeling guilty for, for feeling that way. And, you know, I wish someone had come to me and said, it's fine. Everyone is different. So you never know. Don't put pressure on yourself. Uh, you need to look after yourself before you can look after another human. So you know, take it easy and do what works for you. Yeah, that's thanks so much for sharing that. It's really appreciated. And, um, you know, I know that you're so articulate when you go through your investment strategy with investors, you're quite a connector. I see you as a real people person, as well as someone that, you know, really has a, a, an incredible handle on the sophistication of what you do. Um, so I just hope that anyone that's listening to this, that's interested, can get in touch with me, can get in touch with you to get more information. Uh, I think that Morningside's going to do great things as time goes by. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. And um, I want to thank you so much for being here today, Tori. It's, uh, it's been a great uh, overview for people. Thanks. Yeah, thanks so much. And same to you as well. You are also a great connector, very articulate. So I'm really, really happy that we were able to connect. Me too. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Okay. Okay. okay bye-bye.